It's May of 1997 in New York City. The birds are chirping. And for a few weeks before the blaze of summer, the city feels serene. 35 stories in the air, however. The mood is much less peaceful. This match right now has been going on for three hours and 30 minutes. It could end in one minute. It could end in three and a half hours. There's a maximum. A knockdown, drag out fight is taking place across a chessboard. Standing five feet, 10 inches tall, weighing 176 pounds, Gary Kasparov, the world chess champion from Russia. Two of the world's most famous players are facing off. And one of them happens to be a computer. Standing on the other side of the table, six feet, five inches tall, 2,800 pounds, the deep blue computer from IBM. Man and machine are about to battle it out on the chessboard to determine once and for all, are computers finally smarter than humans? From Gimlet Media, this is Not Past It, a show about the stories we can't quite leave behind. Every episode, we take a moment from that very same week in history and tell you the story of how it shaped our world. I'm Simone Polanin. On May 3rd, 1997, chess grandmaster Gary Kasparov faced off against IBM's Deep Blue in New York City. Before ChatGPT, before Dolly, before AI gave us that photo of the Pope in a white puffer coat, there was Deep Blue, the chess-playing supercomputer that threatened to topple human intellect. Could a computer beat a human in chess? And what would the consequences be for AI today? We'll check it out after the break. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. The world's most formidable chess player is totally adorable in this one photo of him from 1974. He's 11 smiling behind a chessboard, holding a white knight. I learned how to play chess, watching my father and my mother, you know, trying to solve some puzzles in the local newspaper. That's Gary Kasparov in a recent interview. He was born in Azerbaijan, back when it was part of the USSR. By the time he was in middle school, he was recognized as a chess prodigy. And at 15, Gary was the youngest player ever to qualify for the USSR Chess Championship. If you consider chess a sport, I'm probably the most decorated Russian athlete in history. Mm-hmm. Let me guess, also the most humble? Now, if you're like me, and you've got less than a queen's gambit on Netflix level of chess knowledge, allow me to explain. Because to truly appreciate Gary's talent, you gotta know the basics. Chess is a strategy game for two. Each player has 16 pieces of various types, like pawn, rook, knight, just to name a few. Certain pieces are allowed to move specific ways. For example, a bishop moves only diagonally. The game is won by trapping your opponent's king 
blocking it from making any further moves, aka checkmate. The movements are easy enough to master, but what makes chess really strategic is the vast number of possibilities when it comes to combinations of movements and responses. The number of possible chess games is, get this, greater than the number of atoms in the universe. Gary Kasparov's ability to imagine these vast possibilities was something that set him apart. He also had an incredible ability to calculate so he could see things instantly. One grandmaster called him a monster with a thousand eyes. That's Maurice Ashley. He's the first Black grandmaster in the history of chess. And he says by the 90s, Gary was totally dominant in the chess world. He was a grandmaster and had held the world champion title, the highest one you can earn in chess. And he was the Michael Jordan of chess. There was no question that he was not just a gladiator, not just a king, but as far as the rest of us were concerned, a god. Who could be a match for a god? Well, how about a computer? IBM had been working on Deep Blue, their 1.4-ton supercomputer, for almost a decade. And they were confident it could beat Garry Kasparov. Deep Blue was IBM's latest iteration in a series of computers designed specifically to play chess. It was made up of two refrigerator-sized black towers called cabinets. Inside the cabinets were 40 computers, all linked together. It was capable of a huge amount of calculations. The supercomputer, which can examine 200 million moves per second, has been in the works for nearly a decade. And since 1992, five scientists have labored full-time developing Deep Blue's chess skills. Murray Campbell was one of those IBM scientists. He was Deep Blue's AI specialist. He's part of a long history of computer scientists studying chess. Way back in in the earliest days of computers, people were proposing chess as a grand challenge for computer science. Since the 1950s, scientists have been attempting to teach computers to play chess. Because chess requires foresight, strategy, and logic, it's become a symbol for human intelligence. And because it has strict rules, computers can be taught how to play. It's that kind of work Murray was doing in the early 1980s as a grad student at Carnegie Mellon University. We had built a chess machine that was the best in the world. So that's perhaps what drew IBM's attention to our work. Murray started working for IBM in the fall of 1989. It took him and the rest of the team there almost 10 years to develop their supercomputer. Deep Blue worked a little differently than the AI of today. Now, when we talk about AI, we're mostly talking about machine learning. In machine learning, a computer looks through massive data sets, teaching itself how to do things, like recognize images, track speech, write episodes of Seinfeld. At the time, artificial intelligence was less focused on machine learning and more on 
what's called uh, symbolic computation. That's calculating through sequences of alternatives. Basically, the programmers at IBM used algorithms to tell Deep Blue what to do instead of setting it free to teach itself. Now, Deep Blue and Gary Kasparov had actually come face to face once before. And that time, Gary had won. And Gary Kasparov has won the match by a 4 to 2 margin, indeed. The year before, in 1996, Deep Blue and Gary played a match made up of six games in Philadelphia. After what looked like a promising start for Deep Blue, Gary won easily. He took home a $400,000 cash prize and proved man's intellectual dominance in chess. Indeed, an impressive showing by the world champion. Soon after, Gary and IBM agreed to a rematch the following spring. IBM was keen to prove they could beat the world's greatest chess player. We had lots of ideas of how to make Deep Blue play better chess. We added a lot of special information about what makes a chess position good or bad and put it on the computer chip. All of the calculations Deep Blue did to play chess happened on processing chips. But the new and improved Deep Blue would have twice as many as before. So when we went into the 1997 match, we had a much more powerful machine and a much more informed machine. The much more powerful Deep Blue would be put to the test on that beautiful May afternoon of 1997 in a highly publicized face-off. This, of course, is a grudge rematch. Deep Blue is now a smarter computer, and the people who developed the computer believe that Deep Blue can beat Gary Kasparov. Now, Over the course of a week, Deep Blue and Gary Kasparov would play a six-game match in Midtown Manhattan. Gary Kasparov, the Russian chess legend, is representing humanity. He is facing the Deep Blue IBM supercomputer representing technology, and you're looking at a live it was a very exciting match. There was you know, front page newspaper coverage. There were scalpers selling tickets on the streets of New York. IBM built a special studio for the games on the 35th floor of the Equitable Building, a granite-clad skyscraper. The studio looked like a plush library, decorated with oriental rugs, leather chairs, and wooden mallards on built-in bookshelves. On Saturday, May 3rd, at 3 p.m. sharp, the first game of the match began. Grandmaster Maurice Ashley was in the auditorium on the first floor of the building, commentating for hundreds of spectators attending in person and the global chess audience tuning in online. Hello and welcome once again to the IBM Kasparov versus Deep Blue rematch. I'm Maurice Ashley. Kasparov sat across from his opponent. Well, kind of. He sat across from an IBM technician. Three members on Team IBM took turns, and they would make moves on Deep Blue's behalf. I would have a computer screen that only I could see, and whenever he would make a move, I would type that move into the computer so that Deep Blue would know what to calculate, and I would reach over to the board and make it on the chessboard. Kasparov had prepared for months for this rematch, the way he prepared for every match by learning about his opponent's strengths and weaknesses. 
computers at the time had a very specific style of play. Our resident grandmaster, Maurice, will help me explain. A computer move, which back then was a derogatory term. But back then, a computer move meant, man, that's really weird. Like, why would you play a move like that? It makes no sense. One way to think about the difference between so-called computer chess and human chess is to imagine planning out a long road trip. Let's say, on one hand, you've got a driver. She's a long-haul trucker with 25 years of experience. She's the Gary Kasparov of road trips. And she's racing a late 90s GPS across the country. Someone with tremendous experience, like a truck driver driving across the U.S., may know something that the GPS doesn't. The trucker can rely on her intuition and years of experience. She knows, for example, that if it starts to rain, a certain route is going to get super backed up. The GPS, on the other hand, doesn't have that intuition and isn't as good as humans at long-term strategizing. Same goes for chess computers of the time. The further out you go along the horizon, it becomes more and more difficult for it to plan ahead, looking at the possibilities way out 5, 10, 15 moves from now. Basically, Gary figured his ability to strategize in the long term would be better than the computers. All he had to do was wait for Deep Blue to make a mistake. In game one, that strategy was working for him. Deep Blue has resigned and Gary Kasparov has won the first game of the rematch in fantastic style. At this level of play, chess games almost never end in a checkmate. Typically, one player takes stock of their position on the board, knows they've been beaten, and resigns. That's what Deep Blue did here, giving Gary the win in game one. Even though there were still five more games to be played, commentator Maurice Ashley was relieved. We went home and slept in our beds comfortably knowing that humans were still the best chess entities in the universe. Yes, all was well for Team Human. But you know how the old saying goes, don't count your chess chickens before they hatch, mate. The next afternoon, the second game in the six-game series was set to begin. Now he has entered the hall. The playing area has Gary Kasparov. Game two in the match was uh, an amazing game. Deep Blue made the first move this time. Murray Campbell of IBM remembers it clearly. It started off with a very classical opening, which is called the Roy Lopez, one of the oldest openings in chess. Gary responded by trying to steer the game into what's called a closed position. In chess, it describes a game where one player's pawns are blocking their opponent's pieces. They're all kind of stuck. Historically, Closed positions were really difficult for computers to navigate. Not for Deep Blue. Joel had discovered that Deep Blue played this opening reasonably well. Murray's talking about Joel Benjamin, one of the grandmasters who helped IBM revamp Deep Blue. He'd spent hours teaching it how to play less like a computer and more like a human. 
Suddenly, Deep Blue was playing like the truck driver, not the GPS, which took Gary by surprise. Gary's still making all these faces and he's looking none too happy. He's shaking his head, head in hands. Eventually, game two ended. Gary Kasparov has resigned the position in a stunning, stunning development. This time, it was Gary who gave up, tying up the match one to one. Team IBM was thrilled. We were elated. It was thought to be one of the best games ever played by a computer. It wasn't just that Deep Blue had played well in a closed position. It had also sacrificed shorter-term gains for longer-term ones. At the post-game Q&A, Gary began to express some frustration. I think that there's a big difference between game one and game two. Yesterday, something was completely different. He wondered, how is it that Deep Blue was playing like a regular computer in game one, but just one day later was playing like a human grandmaster? I mean, game two definitely shaking my beliefs in in what machine can do. Definitely game two shaking my confidence. I think something truly unbelievable happened. And I cannot get any viable explanation. Gary even began to suspect that different computers had played games one and two. Deep Blue's unpredictability was seriously alarming. He asked for a third party to examine the computer's logs to try to get some understanding of the machine. I'm sure that everybody who plays chess with computers will try to find out what's happened. I'm keeping my own opinion that uh, game two was slightly different. After initially agreeing to share Deep Blue's logs with Gary, the team at IBM changed their minds. They would release Deep Blue's logs, but only after the sixth and final game. To Gary, it all begged the question, what is IBM hiding? His suspicion seemed to stick with him through the third game, which ended in a tie. And in the post-game Q&A, he made an explosive accusation. If I'm reading you correctly, uh, Kasparov, or maybe I'm speaking out of turn, do you think there may be some kind of uh, human intervention on, on this game? or no, it is there a suggestion of the possibility? Me, it reminds me of famous goal that Maradona scored against England in 86. You know, he said it was a hand of God. Gary's talking about Diego Maradona, an Argentinian soccer star who scored a pivotal goal in the 1986 World Cup with his hand, which is super against the rules. Maradona said afterward that maybe it wasn't his own hand, but, quote, the hand of God. Basically, Gary was saying IBM was cheating. Ooh, pawns fired. After the break, the humans turn on IBM. I don't know about you, but this match has gotten hot. (laughs) Woo! Welcome back, you. 
the Anya Taylor joy of my life. Before the break, chess superstar Garry Kasparov faced off against IBM's chess supercomputer, Deep Blue. After three games, Garry and Deep Blue were tied. The first three games, dead even. Kasparov won game one, the Deep Blue computer won game two, and they drew game three. So this is a crucial game. After game three, Gary not so subtly accused IBM of cheating. The two sides argued over when Deep Blue's logs should be made public. But the match continued anyway. Over the next two games, Gary and Deep Blue were locked head-to-head. Games four and five resulted in draws. By then, it was a dogfight. And they had three draws in a row. It was just murder. It was, it was just straightforward. Beat down. That's our resident grandmaster, Maurice Ashley, again. Five games into the match, Deep Blue was giving Gary a run for his money. After that fifth game, it became abundantly clear that most of the human chess fans were on Team Gary. They gave him a minutes-long standing ovation when he entered the auditorium for a post-game Q&A. World champion, Gary Kasparov! Well, Gary, uh, it's clear who humanity is rooting for. The IBM team, however, received a less-than-warm welcome. Sheesh, I didn't realize a bunch of geeked-out chess fans could be so brutal. The entire time the audience was on Kasparov's side. Even we as commentators were biased, and we were pretending not to be biased. It all came down to this. Game six, the final game of the decisive rematch between man and machine. The auditorium was packed. Hundreds of journalists from from just all over, this match has taken on epic proportions, and today's game will decide it all. Gary Kasparov, in khakis and a sport coat, took his seat in a studio high above Manhattan. IBM's Murray Campbell remembers the opening moves of the game. Kasparov decided to play a very risky brand of chess and risk it all on this last game. Now he's actually going straight into what looks like a mainline Karakhan. The opening Gary used is called the Karakhan defense, a combination opening that wasn't really his style. And Kasparov has not played one opening that we would call a real opening, a typical Kasparov opening. Before I continue... Maury says that over the course of all six games so far, Gary had been playing a completely different brand of chess, tailored specifically to beat a computer. And in this final game, he was beginning to falter. Whoa! Kasparov has played the move 8-7 to 8-6, and Deep Blue has instantly sacrificed with night The move put his king, the most important piece in chess, in jeopardy. Is it possible that Kasparov has played incorrect theoretically? According to Maurice, Gary made a big mistake. 
He'd mixed up a series of moves and made them out of order by accident. He allowed a sacrifice that is well-known, completely common, and instantaneously fatal. Because Bob is shaking his head. He's shaking his head as if, as if something disastrous has happened. His king being Gary was visibly upset by his miscalculation. He cradled his chin in his palm, gently shook his head back and forth. Gary's trying to solve his problems. I mean, that's what else can you do? You, you know, exactly. you got a you position you have to play. And uh, we can only hope that he doesn't get blown off the board very easily. And then, abruptly... And whoa! Deep blue, Kasparov, after the move C4, has resigned. After only 19 moves, Gary threw in the towel. Deep blue has won the match. The IBM program Deep Blue has defeated world champion Gary Kasparov in an absolutely stunning, stunning 19 mover. And Kasparov has has just simply stormed away. And the look on his face after that last game of a man who had just been swallowed by a crocodile, it told the whole story. In man versus machine, machine had won. And man was pissed. Gary headed up to the press room. He looked thunderstruck and pouty, at times near tears. He took the microphone. I think it's time for Deep Blue to start playing real chess. And I personally assure you, everybody here, that if Deep Blue will start playing competitive chess, I personally guarantee you, I'll torn it in pieces. Gary was furious and still suspicious. I would like me and you and everybody else to look at the Prince out, especially of game two, and to analyze what's happened. At the end of the day, I'm pretty sure we'll come up with a conclusion that Deep Blue is well beyond anybody's understanding in this world. Team IBM should have been there in the press room celebrating their incredible career-making victory. But instead, they hurried to retrieve Deep Blue's logs so they could prove to Kasparov that they'd been playing fair. The truth is, there's no evidence at all that the IBM team was engaged in any nefarious behavior. For Murray Campbell, the implication that IBM cheated isn't something he loves to revisit. Now, that's my least favorite part of the discussion, mostly because it's a distraction from what happened. The fact is that we we built this system, we put years of our, our, our lives into it, and, and it beat the best chess player in the world. Sure, Gary might have been a sore loser, but that response, it's very human. I mean, you try shouldering the weight of humanity in a battle between man and machine, losing publicly, and walking away with total grace. In the years since Gary's tangle with Deep Blue, he's come to terms with his loss. But still, it's not something he especially likes to talk about. He declined to speak with us for this episode. But Gary's suspicion around artificial intelligence... I don't think I need to tell you just how relevant that feels today. With stories about the death of homework and wife-stealing chatbots, 
artificial intelligence can start to feel like the boogeyman. In fact, a bunch of technology leaders recently wrote an open letter to artificial intelligence labs, asking them to pause progress on their technology. In their new letter, tech industry leaders pose these existential questions. Should we develop non-human minds that might eventually outnumber, outsmart, obsolete, and replace us? Should we risk loss of control of our civilization? Musk and others are asking... The 1,000 or so original letter signers argued that there are too many unknowns about the power of AI for the world's biggest companies to all be spinning up their own chat GPTs and Bards and Megans. Megan, turn off. Are you sure? The AI of today kind of makes all the man versus machine talk around Deep Blue feel quaint. I'm not enough of a tech expert to tell you how to feel about machines of the future or just how close we are to a Terminator reality. But I can tell you that one of the most surprising takeaways for me about Deep Blue is that the effort was a cooperative one between man and machine. Team IBM, in its years of work on the supercomputer, left its distinct human fingerprints all over Deep Blue. Over the course of the match, they all noticed things it was doing because of them. These humans had put so much of themselves into Deep Blue that it was actually totally psyching out other humans, like Gary Kasparov. In 2020, Gary gave a wide-ranging interview to Wired magazine in which he reflected on the potential of human and AI collaboration. AI, he said, is like a mirror. It's only good or bad to the extent that humans are the same. And I'm inclined to agree with Kasparov. These machines are pulling from the knowledge of humans. Perhaps we shouldn't be so afraid of the machines. Perhaps instead, we should pause to think about what the machines reveal about us and tinker a little with our code for once. Not Past It is a Spotify original produced by Gimlet and ZSP Media. This episode was produced by Laura Newcomb. Next week, we're taking a domino journey through some creepy and classic stories from childhood. It just goes to show that you turn your shoulder for one second to practice your wonder horn and then poof, your sibling's gone. Our producer is Ramoy Phillip. Our associate producer is Nick Del Rose. Our production assistant is Jasper Jarecki. The supervising producer is Erica Morrison. Editing by Zach Stewart-Pontier. Andrea B. Scott is our executive editor. Fact-checking by Ian Michael. Sound design and mixing by Emma Munger. Original music by Sax Kicks Ave, Willie Green, Jay Bless, and Bobby Lord. Our theme song is Toko Liana by Coco Co. With music supervision by Liz Fulton. Technical direction by Zach Schmidt. Show art by Elise Harvin and Talia Rockman. The executive producer at ZSP Media is Zach Stewart-Pontier. The executive producer from Gimlet is Matt Schiltz. Special thanks to Joel Benjamin, Max Campbell at IBM, and to Lydia Polgreen, Abby Ruzica, Dan Behar, Jen Hahn, Emily Wiedemann, and Liz Stiles. Follow Not Past It Now to listen for free, exclusively on Spotify. Click the bell next to the follow button to get notifications for new episodes. Check out our new comment feature in the Spotify app. And while you're there, hey, why don't you rate us five stars? 
You can follow me on Twitter at Simone Polanin. Thanks for hanging. We'll see you next week. When you're a human competing against a machine, you just make mistakes. So air is human. That's what we do. 